Hello, my name is Francis Pinder, and you are watching or listening to the Salesforce Posse podcast, where I speak to Salesforce industry influencers so that we can gain a better understanding of how to excel in a career path from a Salesforce admin to an architect. And in this conversation, I'm going to be talking with Paul Patterson. He is a veteran of the UK Salesforce scene and started out over a decade ago developing Financial Force, which is a large financial accounting application on the Salesforce platform. He has a wealth of experience and from transitioning from a developer to an architect, and now he is COO of Cloud Galacticos, a Salesforce consulting partner in the UK. He's also an author of two great Salesforce development books, Mastering Apex Programming and Learning Salesforce Development with Apex. So if you're interested in how to transition between a developer, architect, or even a COO role, or awaken your inner curiosity and thinking more like an architect, then I think you're gonna get a lot of value out of this conversation I've had with Paul. So without further ado, Let's go. Okay, hello, Paul. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Francis. I'm good. Yeah, yeah just a bit. It's a bit warm here today. But other than that, you know, it's a bit it's, unusually uh, warm for the UK, isn't it? Yeah, it's British people complaining about. I'll be whinging like when it's absolutely raining. It's, yeah, uh, which was yesterday. Yeah, one of those things. Or was it the day before? Well, I, I, I got up for a run this morning and it was beautifully sunny and I, I came back in like a really good mood, had a good run. And then like uh, sort of what we are now at midday, like at 10 a.m. it was grey and overcast. I was like, what the hell's happened? But it's just become really muggy. And so it's now like just in that weird spot. Anyway, this, this is how British people start every conversation. Absolutely. How's the weather? How's just the weather all, there yeah. where you are versus me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? It's a tiny island. But it's always because it's like, yeah. it literally, was it a couple of weeks ago, it was pouring with rain and horrendously cold. Following day, glorious sunshine, amazing. And you're like, what's going on? Uh, a nephew, a new, newish nephew. Uh, well, I've only got one nephew. So he's, he's also, you know, he's fairly young, but uh, I've already bought his first birthday present, which is a raincoat. His, his birthday's in September. And we saw like, there's a raincoat where you pull up the hood and it's turned you into a dinosaur. And so it's like, it's a cool, it's such a cool coat. And so I was like looking at it and I saw it and I had like a voucher. I was like, I'm buying that because a September child, like it's a perfectly timed gift and there's no way that you yeah. won't need a raincoat. Absolutely, yeah. And actually you have to, everybody has to pray to the rain god for London's calling in, was it two weeks time? Oh. Was it? Yeah, hopefully. Yes. Yeah, because um, <laughs> we, we have got a little outdoorsy bit. So yeah, so hopefully it should be all good. It's the brewery, isn't it? So yep. it's, a, it's a really nice spot for having the outdoors area to... Yeah, to it's a great, nice courtyard. To... And yeah, it's, it's really yeah. nice. So. We were here to talk about your journey into Salesforce. Because you actually, I looked at your LinkedIn and bizarrely, you were working... Because did you start off as a developer in Salesforce initially? So my, my very first role was a developer at Financial Force. I, I actually sort of cling on to the fact that I was Financial Force's first employee, which isn't it's it's one of those things that's like technically true. So Financial Force used to be used to be coder to go before they were Financial Force. And so I was the first person to get a Financial Force contract, like as as a new hire for the new company. Uh, and everyone else had moved over. So I hang on to that fact very, very strongly. I started off as a developer. Uh, Andy Fawcett was my very first 
boss. But great Andy Forster, Salesforce, yeah. Also a great, great person to learn from. You know, Stephen Wilcock and a few others. Carolina, you know, a bunch of those that are big, <clears throat> big luminary names. And yes, and then me. So, you know, I, uh, that was, I was, I was a .NET developer before that and just happened to look for, you know, I, I intended when I graduated university to be a, to be a banker and things like that. And then there was a, there was a small financial collapse. Little thing and, that uh, happened. Yeah. I had an interview with Lehman Brothers arranged the week before they collapsed, which, uh, spo- spoiler alert, did not go well. My friend worked for Lehman Brothers when it collapsed and he he asked, because he had share options in the company, it's a weird rule that you can actually request the share physical certificates. And literally, after they'd gone bankrupt, he asked for the certificates, even though they were utterly worthless. And he, he basically used them as wallpaper to wallpaper one of his rooms. And he said it was like, and then he kind of posted it as the most expensive room in the world because he'd use all these share certificates, but obviously now worthless. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting time. Yeah, so yeah, so I mean, that was the thing. I'd, I'd been doing development uh, you know, as a teenager, just sort of hacking and programming around and messing about and fell back on those skills. I'd been doing a bit of PHP and uh, when I started, it was like Perl and things like that, which is, you know, for those who've ever written Perl, you'll appreciate the madness of that. Uh, doing some .NET work, um, <clears throat> looking for other .NET jobs. And this was back in the day before Trailhead, before, or before Salesforce was really known. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I actually, I'm, ironically, you're, you, when you were at Financial Force, I don't know if it was yeah. just over, just after, or a year in or something, I was actually implementing Financial Force at a client. Probably around the same sort of time, because I was telling someone the other day that when I started doing Salesforce, they, the, I was one of the first people to learn to use the new Aloha theme. Oh, right. I was still working in, I, I, when I first logged in, it was classic, classic, which you know what Really that means. old classic, classic, yeah. Really old classic, like, yeah, for, for those that aren't aware of it, imagine like a gray set of boxes. That was about it, wasn't it? So we moved to the new Aloha theme, and that was it. So yeah, I remember being told, "Well, this is it. all the training was still the old stuff." So you'd look at all these screens, and they'd be like, "No, no, no, you need to use the new Aloha stuff." And it would, but stuff would work. So it was, yeah, when lightning happened and everything, I was like, "Ah, oh, this takes me back." But yeah, so, yeah, so that was how I started off was you know doing Salesforce development, and then slowly just doing more development. And yeah, it was quite nice and easy at the time because. You could do cutting edge stuff on Salesforce really rapidly because everything was the cutting edge. You know, it was. I mean, you you, re- you remember what it was like when you used to enter the enter a code incorrectly and suddenly you get a, a dwarf error come up or something. <laughs> yeah, and it, but then also, yeah, it's just like it was a completely different. I remember first seeing Salesforce and I was like, ah, this is the future of computing, mm. you know, and that's why I wanted to jump straight into it. But yeah loads of you know what is cloud you know every time somebody asked you what you did it was like this is cloud computing and they're like what's cloud computing and you have to explain it all and then i work with salesforce in the cloud and they're like oh what what's that oh and it's like yeah <laughs> a bit like facebook for doing, businesses you know <laughs> uh, well, I, went, I remember uh the job i had left to go to financial force uh, about i left financial force and then end up going back to this old job not joining there but to, to kind of do a demo of what Salesforce was because I kept in contact with the developers and you know one of the guys there was just saying to me like is it 
is it a real thing that you can build stuff on this? Like, is it just CRM? And I was like, no. And I, there's me like after 12 months, 18 months, being like, honestly, mate, this is the future. Like, you got to come and see this. And it's the one that always gets me is I don't have to write a login page. I've actually got to do some work on a login page for a community because that's one of the weird little edge cases where you still have to do it now. I just remember turning up to this thing and being like, okay, go and sign up for a dev org. And all these developers are being like, right. And they signed up. I was like, fantastic. There's all your login authentication, user management, like everything done. And they were like, they were like, what? It's like your database is done. And it's little things like that, that at the time were, I think, I don't think enough people like truly appreciate that now. It's even, just still yeah, little things. It's still, but even now, actually, to be honest, I like, even now, I think certain people still don't quite get it. Because um, even I'm on calls now and they're like, yeah, we're, you know, they've gone to the cloud and these other solutions. It's like the fake cloud, you know, the false cloud that, that Benioff did years ago. But, um, and they're like, yeah, we're, so we're, we're still having problems with the SSL certificate on the Linux server and blah, blah. I'm like, what? Aren't you supposed to be in the cloud? You know, it's in the cloud, but it's infrastructure as a service. So not really in the, you know, not as a software as a service provide, you know, and you're like, oh, okay then. So it's just a, you know, same stuff, but in the cloud really, you know, from on premise. I still have, this, I still have that with a lot of people where they're like, they're big on AWS or, or Google Cloud or whatever, or Azure. And it's like, well, and I'm like, well, why are you doing that on there? And they're like, well, we've got this big EC2 instance. I was like, you mean the server? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's, that, that's what that is. You're like, still patching just, it then. Be, yeah, it's still someone else's. And they're like, oh yeah. And then but you then get the opposite spectrum where someone's like, okay, well, I'm going to do everything with microservices now and functions. You're like, and you're like, why? And that, because I'm not having anything. You're like, you're just building a bunch of infrastructure still. You just don't realize it. So you kind of started off as a developer. You had that developer background. Um, but then after that, did you then move into architecture as a kind of natural progression from that? Or how did that work? So one of the things I think that's unique about Salesforce development and developers is there is a lot of people with a non, I would say non-traditional background, but that, that's not what I mean by it. By a non-CS background is really what I mean. If you go into a Java or a .NET place, even today, and you go and there's 10 developers sat there and you say, hands up if you've got a computer science degree, you'll get 11 hands shoot up, like out of 10. Because the manager will have a computer science degree as well, and the receptionist will probably have one. And like the thing is that there's a load of people in Salesforce that don't have a computer science background. Yeah, and like Salesforce really build on that with kind of admins moving into doing um, Salesforce work and with doing into more development work with Vetforce with all of these kind of programs they've got. And so from my side of the fence as I was going through and doing my career is that I found that Salesforce developers were allowed to go and be a lot more talkative with clients. Like developers aren't meant to talk to clients. Developers are meant to sit away in a dark room somewhere. But in a closet. I'm, I'm Don't talk to anyone. Yeah. Just do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Dark, dark lights, hoodie up, like you know, some sort of like yeah, and just, just speeds me, you know, every now and again. <laughs> Pizza slid under the door. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, <clears throat> but like, I, I've I've never really yeah, I'm I'm not the most introverted of people. I like to talk to clients. I like to understand what's going on. I like learning about business as well. And so I kind of ended up being an architect just because I get more into consulting, but also because I was able to like a lot of people, I think, doing Salesforce, able to express what I was trying to do to the business better. So it was kind of a, a partly a natural progression as the platform grew up, there was more to do, so you got involved with more. 
partly my own curiosity, partly just that's kind of the way a lot of careers were still going at the time because there is that kind of there's still that view of like, well, first you're a junior developer, then you're a developer, then you're a senior developer, then you're a technical lead, and then you're a junior architect. Yeah, and I think it's also, really and also you just you actually you touched on something where you said you, you, it's your curiosity, and I think that is quite a common, not common skill, but a common trait I see, where it's those people that are more curious, wanting to look, find out more about business and and all the technology, which become it's quite a good trait to have as an architect because you need to have that kind of mile-wide knowledge I suppose and understanding of the business and how those two worlds gel together. I completely agree I think that the the reason kind of I think I was able to jump up kind of that that path as well was yeah I was very very lucky that I, I, ju- I started doing Salesforce at the right time you know and I'm sure you you'll appreciate this as well because you and I have you know been doing it for a similar-ish sort of length of time is that you know we hit we hit the perfect time when it was about to bubble and grow. It, it, you know, it was like doing sort of which is which is wonderful and great and you know touch wood long may it continue like that. But there were things that you and I could try and do on the platform. Like you know I I would push to do crazy things on there to learn more about it. So one of the one of the weirdest best things most interesting things I did was I did a talk uh, on machine learning back in 2014. I wrote a machine learning system in Apex on the platform. This was before Einstein, before Wave. Like that—that that was the year that Salesforce One was was released. That's how far back that was. There was no, and for, for everyone else listening in, who's like, that means nothing to me. What is now the Salesforce mobile app was was just released. There was flexi pages, but it was all still Visual Force. Yeah, it was no very, aura, no nothing. Yeah, it was all very. That's how you see it, really. Unless you want to override it with a Visual Force page, you know. Exactly. Einstein didn't exist. Wave didn't exist. None of yeah. these things. Or what? Wave? You, know, you mean probably... now analytics, CRM analytics, CRM analytics? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what they like. You know, all of the. It hadn't even been a yeah. thing that they bought yet. Um, yeah, yeah. It was literally sales cloud, service cloud, service cloud, or service cloud two, as they called it. If you remember that one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yes. I have people ask me why it's product to everywhere, and I'm just like, oh, there's a story. There's um, a story. That was it. So I got, like, I got from my own curiosity to kind of dive into these things, push myself, and build kind of weird and wonderful things, and that helped me understand things better. I have a question I ask, especially architects that I interview. There's one question I ask that I'm not going to share it now, just because someone will come to me and then, but like, it's it's one question I have that helps me in ten seconds go, do you understand the platform or not? And then in the next minute, as they try and go through the answer, tell me whether I can work with them and help them learn. And it's, it's, and, but it's, it's, you've got like Salesforce is one of those things you can have that with. And I think that, yeah, I, th- I think the curiosity piece is, is how I kind of got there through and, and doing it because you just start doing more weird and wonderful things and you start doing more and bigger projects because Salesforce could start to do more and bigger projects. And it's like, okay, cool. Now I need to learn SSO because I've now got to do SSO. Now I need to learn about high volume data streaming because now I've got to do high volume data and I think, streaming. Yeah. And I think also it is a little, I think people that come into it see it as this massive overwhelming platform and they're never gonna learn it all. But the reality is nobody knows it all. You know, it's too big, you know, and you're always, you know, you know 60% of what you're doing and the other 40% is learning, researching, trial and error to get it working and then moving on to the next thing. And now you know it, you know, and, and you're growing your experience that way. And I bet it's like some of the stuff I learned eight years ago 
that I haven't touched since. I've completely forgotten. In fact, I know this because sometimes when I search Google for an answer to something, my own answer will come up on a board. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, I've answered it for somebody else. I obviously knew it eight years ago and forgotten it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, you can't learn it all, so. That's, that, that exact situation happened to me like five times in like a month. And that was, that was generally the point at which I decided to create a YouTube channel to share stuff, which I've not touched, touched enough for the past year or so. And why I start, why I wrote both my books, both of my books were written because I was like, I have forgotten more than I care to acknowledge. So let me just go back through it. And it, like, it's, but it's, it's like, if you go back to, you know, I mean, when you did your, if you went to university and did your degree or whatever, like, you know, I, I reread my own thesis at one point. And I bet that was, was scary. Like, this guy, I was like, this, this guy's smart. Who's this guy? And then you get to the end, you're like, oh. No. I think, yeah, I'm just thinking of like, com I'm sure I've got it somewhere, like compiler techniques when you're kind of building a compiler from scratch and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, I don't remember any of that, you know, but... Oh, oh yeah, crazy. So, okay, so you, you kind of moved from, you started off as um, .NET developer, came into Salesforce development, then kind of organically moved into kind of architecture through just being cur curious, really, about businesses, industries, and and the technology. So when, because now you are CTO of Cloud, COO, sorry, of Cloud Galacticos. Um, so how did you make the leap there? Because does that mean then that, you're further away from the technology? Or was that just your kind of curious, curiosity around business and process and operations? It's a, a bit of both, really. So I sort of, so as I was, as I was doing what I'm like, I think one of the big things I would always tell people is just, just start doing stuff. Like it's forgiveness and permission kind of stuff. Like, you know, I, I, no one ever said to me officially, you're an architect. Here's the badge. Good luck. And off you, like, I applied for, you know, I, I was at a job and I just said, you know, said to my boss one day, like, great, I'm, I'm leading this. So I'm going to change, like, and it was during a yearly review and he just says anything else. I was like, yeah, like I'm now architecting and leading your products. I'd like to have my job title as product architect. No change in salary or anything like that had been discussed. It was like, I think I'm doing that role. And they're like, great. And then that was it, you know, and a lot of people get nervous about a title and what it means. If you're doing the job, choose the title like you know and most people don't care now yeah um, and also this is quite interesting actually because i was talking to innis on the last podcast and she just had you know she doesn't like people being put in a box and i think in reality especially if you're working in like a scrum team or whatever it's almost like you've all got different skills to bring to the table but all in various different you know ways and you might have you know okay you might not be an, inter an integration consultant or you know have that as your title but you've got that as skills that you have you just happen to be a developer as well and it's a kind of having a mix of skills that you could be part architect part developer part integration consultant all as one but they're all really valuable skills you know to to make you know a really good high-performing team I think that's in general for everyone yeah. like, you know, is that pe people need to, in my mind, is that, again, go out and grab things and be curious on stuff. Because like, I, I often get asked by someone, well, how do you, how do you know how to, well, because I went and did that. 
but how did you know how to do that? Well, what I did was I went away and I read about it and then I, and then I broke it like 10 times and then I finally got it right. And you don't tell the client about the first eight breakages. You tell them about the last two when they're the minor ones and then you fix it and then everything's like, you know, people, I think there's, there's a group of people that kind of, if you have that right mentality of just being curious and you know what you, yeah, I was for a client the other day, I was asking for some data mapping they had for an integration and they're like, ah, we don't have that, which is, you know, a completely uncommon occurrence because everyone documents everything really thoroughly. And so just like, all right, where, what, what's, where's where's the code base that's populating that and it was some php code base that's like years old and you know there'd been updates to it over time and i was like right just send me links to that and i'll get the mappings like, but you're not a php developer i was like yeah but I've, I've written php before i shouldn't write it but i can write it and i can read it and now we've got documentation and look that's better and it's just you know i could have easily just said well that's not my job can you go and do that or you know i need this document you know and people often get into that position of almost boxing themselves in by getting others to do stuff like but now, also i think also it's that kind of mental thing of going well i'm not a php developer so i shouldn't go anywhere near it when in fact yeah. even though you have done some php development before but it's just not what you're doing now but you're still yeah. probably way more qualified than anybody else so well, go and do, do it what, do what i did was i scanned, scanned down the the code base and was like there's a lot of symbols here that i can't remember what they're meant to do oh wait Oh wait, look, there's the word account, account map. I was like, I probably know what that's gonna be doing. And then you and like, you know, I I know this Salesforce talk. So when it came up and it was like, you know, locale double underscore sales, so like, I know that field. I know what the name field is. Yeah. First name, last name. So that's it. So <clears throat> so that's that's kind of my approach to things, which to, to kind of go back to the question you originally asked that I walked away from, weirdly, was uh was how kind of I made that transition is that I'd been doing these jobs and found myself just organically starting to do more sales and marketing. I'd always been in kind of teams that were growing and yeah, that was always something I was super interested in. Um, it's helping teams grow. I've never really wanted to be, I'm too much of an independent person with a big mouth to be, to go like to go and be a, a, a big four consultancy. It's not my, not my back, right? Some people enjoy it. Some people don't, that's fine. Some people hate working with me. I'm not everyone's cup of tea, go for it. But with that, like I ended up, when you're in a small organization, you end up having to wear more hats anyway. In my role before Cloud Galacticos, I was effectively leading sales and marketing and like doing a bit of soft kind of management and, you know, kind of delivery for like a European team. Everyone would come to me if they had a question or a problem. And I was doing partnership management and all these things and, you know, recruitment and all that stuff. So I was like, well, I'm kind of doing this anyway i knew being very open with myself is that at the organization i was at they had a cto there who was one of the best people i've ever worked with so smart a guy i was never going to be a cto that would replace him and you know he yeah you know, the only way of getting that job was him dying or resigning and i'm, I'm like i don't want him to die because i like the guy and i don't want him to resign because because then i've lost lost learning from him you know you want to work with smart people um so i was like and i, I kind of knew i could do a CTO role, but I was like, but I kind of want to do more of this other stuff that I'm bad at or less good at. And so that was kind of my thing is that I, you know, I kind of went and said, and I was chatting to Phil, who's the CEO at the time, but what still is the CEO of Cloud Galacticos, was at the time, still is. Um, but like, sorry, I haven't fired you, Phil. Uh, but uh, but he, you know, he, he and I go back a number of years and, <clears throat> and yeah, I go back a long time with a CTO of CG, uh, Neil. And I was chatting to the pair of them and they were like, look, yeah, we're trying to put 
put a bit of rocket fuel in this in the team and grow it and you know get it bigger and bigger and I remember having a beer with Phil and he was like so what is it you actually do because because it was so badly defined and because I was doing so many things just like so what 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 do you really do and and that was kind of it is yeah we started chatting and he was like okay I think I could have someone come and help me to do that what do you want to do what do you not want to do and we had a really good back and forth conversation you know you know Phil he's a very open-minded guy very good at these things and I just said to him, I'd like to do these things and do more of them and do them better. I've got ideas. And he was like, great, come on and help us do that. And I'm not, I still deliver for clients. I still keep my hands involved and dirty. I'm trying to do less of it because it, one of the problems I think as well is that as you become more experienced, and especially if you do have a, a bigger job title with it, is that people can then lean on you and expect too much from that. So when you know, I know we were we, you know, just before we started, you and I were chatting about like this trusted advisor and this becoming vital role. I think there's also, you know, as a I try and be a good custodian for my clients as well, where if I will tell them very frankly, hey, I can't get hit by a bus for you now and that's a problem. Like I had a client who's a, fr- a good friend of mine now, and I was chatting to her, I was telling her that I I have like four hats I'm wearing. There's there's like me talking about me as an employee, me talking about me as your resource, me talking about me as just you know, pull the COO, pull the project manager, pull the developer, pull the architect. And you have to look at yourself in those ways sometimes. So I still stay hands-on, but I, I, I'm trying to back away from being so intrinsically involved in things because... You know, as we grow as an organization, yeah, you can't touch wood, thankfully. Yeah, you can't you yeah. can't grow with that yeah, without focusing on it, you know. So Yeah. yeah but 100%. equally at the same time, the reason we've got to the position of growth we're in is because in a small organization you need people that can do multiple things. You know, you need a guy that can do selling and can do kind of delivery is is great because it means that I can go and talk to a client, tell them what it's gonna cost, then go and make it for them in that cost, and they'll go, Ah, oh, I don't feel lied to. Yeah. Which is and I, I, kind of, I think that as you know, in a startup and as it grows, you obviously it's that kind of everybody's doing everything, bit of marketing, bigger sales, because it is that small startup. But also you almost have that in Salesforce orgs within organizations. So it's all it is a replicated thing where it could be a massive organization, but it's a small org with a small set of users and you are doing everything, you know, business analyst, project manager, consultant, you know, developer, you know, architect, tester, everything. Yeah. And then as that org evolves and gets bigger, then your role changes and the roles on the team get more specific. Um, and, and so an admin role, I always you know, tell my, my students, like an admin role at a small org in, or in a small company versus a big org slash big company is a very different role. You know, an admin there and an admin there, very different. And the same you know, for a lot of uh, other, other roles as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to think with, with some of the different teams within Salesforce, like the size of things, you're right, that, that I think a lot of people, and this goes back to kind of what we're saying about the job, job titles, like is that, you know, yeah, you know what, you might be the admin of an org for a company. I know a company that are like about a 20, 30 million pound revenue organization. They've got two admins and they call them admins. And it's like, nah, you're, you're running that org. You are probably architects. And all right, they might ping me or one of my team occasionally for a bit of help and you know, support and you know, just have an arm around them and go, okay, yeah, this is the right way of doing it. But, you know, they're, they're making key decisions on this. It's not like they're sat there kind of, just resetting passwords yeah and like and again it comes back to you know what an architect is and kind of like in my view 
an architect is those those design design decisions that you make that are going to be hard and costly to change in the future. Um, and so, you know, if you create an object in Salesforce, put flow, loads of flows on top, reports and dashboards, link it with other objects, uh, security, all this kind of stuff, suddenly this object becomes hard to change. So actually, anybody that creates objects in Salesforce are potentially, essentially making an architectural decision that could impact, you know, many years down the road. And even now, you know, looking back at those kind of decisions I made early on, and you're like, uh, um, yeah, and actually <laughs> way back, I shouldn't, should I say this on this live on a, on a podcast, but um, I did some Apex code, learning Apex, doing some Apex code, and for exception handling, I thought it would be a good idea to email me when there is an exception, and that code is still in that org, and approximately once a year, twice a year, I get an email from it. Yeah, uh, I'm like, that's... oh, bad code. <laughs> What's, are you just like, as well, like, surely someone should have updated that. In the yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> this, but I think yeah. you're right. It's like these decisions that you make have a long-lasting effect. Um, I think that's one of the things that is it's kind of a good and a bad thing about Salesforce is that the barrier to entry is low. And as we said about people coming from non-traditional or non-CS backgrounds, I mean, if you and I were to go away and go back to like one of those theoretical .NET or Java organizations, be like, great, we want to change, we want to add a, a field onto the database table. Like, it'd be like, okay, great. Go and talk to the DB admin team over there and tell them why you want it. And then you've got to like just crawl over glass to get someone to agree that it's a, you know, in Salesforce, it's so easy to be like, all right, I'm just going to try this as a field and then just go, all right. No, no, or change the you know you can change the type on a load of them still. If you if you went to a, like a, a Postgres admin and were like, listen, we've got this as a varchar forty, it actually needs to be a varchar two five five, or like or you know yeah yeah, just but there's a ton of stuff that's migrations and effort and like yeah, I mean that's probably not the worst example, but it's probably okay that one. But but I think that's that's a big part of it, as you say, like you're making big decisions and it's easy to forget that that is actually architecture. Like, you know, you're, you're doing e, you know, entity relationship design. That's, that's architecture. You're deciding how systems interact with each other. I mean, we should make everyone draw out all their, all their uh, flows and everything in UML sequence diagrams and then, and then watch what happens as people see how they come through. Like, but stuff like, I don't think people appreciate some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think is it, yeah. And I think, once you've been in it for a while, you really, yeah. I think it was also, it's like somebody was telling me, well, how do you learn all this stuff? And like now you can, and actually I was talking to somebody who was a consultant as their title. And actually after chatting with her for a while, I'm like, she's not a consultant. She's a business architect. So, which is like different type of architect, but essentially it's on the business side. Hey, they've got Salesforce and they're digitalizing their journey. There's a load of work on the business side to support that digitalization effort. And actually, she's working way more on the business side, kind of re-architecting the business, you know, changing teams, employing, new, you know, saying, hey, well, we need less people here, consolidating into a date, you know, in a call center versus, you know, lots of different people doing the same thing. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is, this is business architecture. It's not a consultant work. Yeah, and it, it's quite interesting how, yeah, you can be doing, making decisions, making, and it actually is architecture work, but, you know, you're just 
but those in, implication, those, those changes that you're making are going to have far-reaching effects down the line. Um, but yeah, you don't really know. And actually, even PHP, I always remember like you can code PHP really badly, yeah, or in a kind of scripting functional way, or you could do PHP object orientation within it and not more formalized kind of development. So to be a PHP developer, you could be very bad at developing in PHP or a very good PHP developer. Um, so with JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, JavaScript as well, yeah. Yeah, so, and I think, yeah, it's a bit bit like with, with Salesforce as well. But I'm kind of hoping with Hyperforce and the, you know, the changes to the underlying architecture at Salesforce, I'm kind of hoping things will be, you know, limits may be increasing or hopefully be more relaxed and maybe then the issues we've had in the past might not, you know, happen in the future. Who knows? And therefore, I'm not, uh, I'm not as big. A, I mean, so the one limit I want to increase is just data storage because like yeah. two kilobyte <laughs> yeah. records and things like the actual other, the other, the other limits. I'm, I'm never as upset about because yeah. some of them I think are, I, are just. If you if you if you're hitting them, you're just a bad coder almost or bad developer. Well, I don't think you. I don't even. Well, I don't think necessarily it's always that you're a bad developer. I, I think that one of the things that people. This is going to get weirdly metaphysical in a second. Uh, philosophical. One of the things that people need to think about with their Salesforce org is con, is to consider it like a universe, right? So, did you ever play like when you were when you were younger, like any of the sandbox, you know, like Civilization or like um, Black and White and things like that, where you're like a effectively a god, right? And what you've got to think about with your Salesforce org is that you are like a god putting your Salesforce org down. And there, there's two theories around you. There's one, which is that you don't exist and you let everything evolve. And there are so many orgs I've worked in where you can tell that it's this is okay, and then we'll add this on, and then we'll add this on, and then we'll add this on, and then this one, oh, but this means we have to go over here. And, you know, it's kind of this branching view, but it's all about evolution. And that's perfect and fine, but part of that is survival of the fittest, and people aren't very good at getting rid of the unfit parts of their org. The other part is the whole, like, that there is a God kind of view, and it's the watchmaker, you know, thing, where it's like it's a precision instrument that has been designed and put together. And I see, I see Salesforce orgs that are either one or the other where like nine months worth of thinking hard about it has gone on and you get this perfect watch design. And then if you want to change the design, there's implications on it, but you have got that great super tuned design for what you want. Um, but thankfully, Salesforce then makes it easier to add an alarm onto it or you know whatever you want. I see so many evolved orgs where people just kind of go in and it's like, okay, and it starts off like there'll be a small team of business users that whack a couple of things in and then someone else will go oh yeah like yeah and uh yeah I've, I've seen instances where there's been like multiple uh you know duplicated standard objects and you know sort of you know someone's someone's going to create a custom yeah custom quote or custom What's opportunity that object for? Or, i don't know but i'm thinking <laughs> it's, yeah, it's used by one user still but you know yeah, yeah you go in there and you find that there's an object that yeah, yeah there's one client i had where uh there was one object used by one person that there was like sort of they, there'd be a spate of records created in a one month period and then nothing for the rest of the year. And then another spate at the same time. And it turned out it was being used like as a backup duplicate for some sort of um, invoicing process, which was now all handled in another system. 
But they, you know, like that thing where when you go live with an integration, people are like, well, we'll keep the backup just, just in, in case. case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll dual run, which is a sensible thing. But no one had ever turned that off. So, like three years later, this person had left, and it was like their user hadn't been deactivated, which was like a security red flag. And it was actually a security review I was doing that made me spot it. And it was like, why is why is that person? Active. Still creating acts like, and still creating <laughs> records. <laughs> yeah, and then it was just like, oh yeah, and then you kind of went back through it. It's like, oh yeah, well we don't need those. Right? And it just so happened I bumped into someone that sat next to me. Like, oh yeah, well we were meant to turn that off. Did that not get turned off? Yeah. And it was like, I'm sure, I'm sure I sent an email to someone saying to turn that off. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, there's a there's a project in London actually, um, and even the client says it's like the architecture hot potato, and like if you're a freelance architect, I think. Everybody has worked on it. Yeah, I, I know so many people that have worked on this project, and it's been—you know—they they bought Salesforce like a decade ago, and it's just a huge org with you know lots of streams of work going on in it, and it's just full of tech debt and change, and it is—it's kind of been that evolving org, and now they're trying to move over to that more control over what's going on because they're kind of having issues within it. So what, do you see any projects that are trying, they've gone one way and they want to go the other way or vice versa? Or is there something above it that's trying to control in, in, a, in a way, like a COE or something? So we, we, one of the clients I'm working with at the moment are going from the more evolved and we're trying to go more towards the designed and planned. And the reason is that we are hitting governor limits and they are unable to use some standard functionality due to governor limits that they've got in there. Um, and you know, they're, they're completely open about it and put their hands up and say, Joe, you know we didn't have a partner in that knew what we were doing. We had our IT team do it, who were developers in different languages and things. We were just like went in and hacked stuff together. And there was a business analyst who was like, oh, she knew what she was doing. So she started cracking on with adding fields and things. And then, there were, then the marketing guys wanted these fields for reports and you know, yada, yada, yada. But they wanted their own fields for reports. They couldn't use another field just in case it was wrong or yeah, all this sort of stuff. Um, and they want to try and re-architect and rework. So we're helping them do that. But it is that process of kind of helping them understand and particularly helping the business understand as we as we talk about it, that this isn't a check you're done. This is like, <clears throat> I, I try and tell people it's like exercising, like, you know, again, like your Salesforce org is like a, is like a human body. If you go and if you just eat pizza and burgers and drink, you know, beer and fizzy drinks or whatever, like all your life and don't do anything good in there, then it'll end up being fat and bloated and you know not feeling great. And it will fall down at some point and not get back up. If you kind of go and you know you regularly exercise it, make sure it's being maintained. And it's it's that same sort of thing. It's just, you know, you never get finished and have a perfect talk. There is no perfect talk. I ran the Salesforce security scanner once on a brand new dev, uh, brand new org that I've been given. It was a, a production org. What level of what score do you think they get Salesforce gives on a brand new org for the security uh, health check? Seventy percent. All close. Sixty-four. I think it was. Sixty-four. Oh, close. Yeah. But yeah. Which I'm, just, I'm, I'm like, yeah. But like, is you know, if a, if a brand new fresh org that no one's actually configured yet, shouldn't it be a hundred percent already? Yeah. 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 And I don't know. There's certain things that are like password policies yeah. and yeah. And but, I yeah, think also that security good... health check sometime is, you know, if you're using single sign-on, well, all the password policies are a bit relevant anyway. But um... yeah, but yeah, it's but yeah, I completely agree. But it is an interesting thing just to see that like yeah. everyone thinks that 
I also find that even like fresh orgs, like user experience as well. Like Salesforce is really focused on the user experience and stuff like that. But, you know, where chatter and the activities are on different objects is different. And you're like, well, surely for usability, you want to have it consistently in the same place or exactly the, or at least the tabs being in the same place so you know where they are. But no, you know, by default, they're kind of, different places on different objects. Um, I always hate the way that most objects, when you open them up, have the related tab open up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when you look at, I was like, why? <laughs> why have I opened up the account record to see the opportunities? Yeah. That's madness. <laughs> exactly. I would have gone to the opportunity, you know. Especially now the search has got so good, you know, the global search. If you had any tips for a company, if, you, if I'm working in a company and I know I've got this org that's been bloated on, you know, it's been eating burgers and french fries for the last 10 years, and I want to move to a more organized way of working and, and try and clean it up and get it healthy, what, what tips would you give them? My first tip is to stop. That's the hardest part. Like, you know, you know, give it, you know if, you, if you want to stop you know, stopping drinking and stopping eating and stopping the stopping the fags and booze is always the hardest part, but that's the most important one. You know, number of times you speak to people, it's like, we want to make this all better, but we just need to do this thing for this, you know, and that's, that, that's a big organizational hurdle. It's always going to be getting people to realize that this has to change now. Realize you've got a like, problem. You know, yeah, exactly. And, and I know that we're being kind of jokey here talking about like, you know, the you know kind of real world sort of you know having problems and you know that's not making light of those real issues. It's it's a similar thing if you just have to accept that they're if you continuously are in your role going like ah Joe you know what we yeah we know we need to do this better but this this one last process builder hack can go through right you know this 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 but this this one last thing and and then we'll do it properly. Never you know tomorrow never comes. So you first things first accept it stop and agree you're going to do better. Second thing for me is always to start thinking about low-hanging fruit. So look at your look at process builders, look at workflows, look at flows, and organize them. If you have more than one of any of them, if you have all three of them on one object, make use, make yourself have one, put them all together, bundle them up nicely, and check it. Check the performance, check the profiling, make sure it can work. Use data loader to see how many can I load now. And then do your work and then use data to see how many can I load afterwards. And if the number's not bigger, go back and do it again. Like, you know, I mean, I can... I think it's also I really... I like kind of adding that kind of the same kind of thing. It's like that's having a strategy of going, if I'm going in and changing something based on some work, I'm going to clean it up and make it, you know, and leave it better than it was when I went into it originally. One of the things I talk about in my Mastering Apex book, and I've talked about London's Calling before and other places like that is, is about like... I use the UDA methodology, so um, observe, orient, decide, and act. So look at what the problem is and observe it. Orient yourself as to what you're going to do. Decide if you're going to make a change and what that change is, and then act upon it, and then reobserve and go back through that loop. So I think that's the next thing to do is kind of look at that. And then the, the big one that people miss at the moment is to think about your system. In and I'm going to say in terms of event streams or like of what needs to happen when. So one of the... I've, I've got a client at the moment um, who have a problem where like they can't use the, 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 everything's just changed to chain together. So object A updates, which up, updates object B, which is its parent, which does C, which is its parent, which does D, which is its parent, which does E, which is its parent, and da, 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 da. and you end up with like eight of them. 
all chaining together. And I, I've genuinely sat there before and hit save and been like, God, just you know, having to wake up. Yeah, it's just awful. And But the problem is, is that these things are all chained together. And every time a save occurs, they fire their, their order of execution and use up their resources. And then they'll update some of the records you've already updated. And it just, you know, it's one of these weird, you know, mind map sort of spider diagrams. And, and like what I've started to tell people to think about is, okay, well, what actually needs to happen straight away? Because most processes don't have to occur immediately. And this is what you know, platform events, I think, are an underutilized and amazing resource of Salesforce, as are, as are all of the asynchronous options, you know, future, batch, schedulable, queuable, all of those are massively underutilized. But, but also is a great in way. the hands of an admin. If they wanted to yes. start using it as well, it's not a coding thing, you know. Oh, no. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, does, it doesn't have to be. You, you can definitely set this up as an admin to figure out how you're going to set these things going. So, so essentially, what we're saying, yeah, just for the people who don't know, so a synchronous transaction will be something I hit save, and it has to happen in the background before essentially the page refreshes. So a really good example for like a real world use case is your opportunity closes, right? Your opportunity closes and people then get something. They might get access to something. They might get entitlements. They might get you know, an invoice emailed out to them. You might create a login for them. But let's just say that it's it's your e-learning platform, right, Francis? Someone closes an opportunity in Salesforce because I know you're managing it in Salesforce. And what happens is, is that you then are going to send them a login. You're going to send them an invoice and you're going to give them some entitlements for what different systems they've got. Do any of those three things need to happen there and then? Absolutely. Like, e yeah. Exactly. exactly. Like the, the login is going via email anyway. So if they don't refresh their email, they're not going to get it. So and they're not going to be there matter. looking. <laughs> yeah. Refresh, refresh, well, yeah. refresh. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know what? We're on about seconds anyway, like not even 10 seconds, a second or two for it to fire off. And then we've got, same with the quotes and all or invoices and all these things. Just thinking about that, it's one event in that it's okay. I'm saving this, the opportunity is closed. There are a bunch of things that can listen to it that can be fired off. And as you say, like we, the, the, the kind of concept here is splitting it so that it doesn't happen synchronously, so straight away. It's that if this happens five seconds later, no one cares. It's fine. But that means that your first record saves a lot quicker and all the other stuff just happens in the background and you don't care about it. No one's sat waiting. And I think that that's, that's my biggest annoyance about Salesforce admins and developers is that they forget that people were sat waiting after they've clicked a button for them. And it's their fault. Like you add in all this stuff, like, yeah, because typically Salesforce developers and admins, particularly at consultancies, aren't users. Like they're not using it day in, day out as much as they would be with everything else. And so they don't sit down with, you know, a, I try and encourage my team to work with the business and to see them actually doing it. Because when you're sat there on a Zoom call together, and you press save, and they go anyway. And no cut, no no end user can help themselves. and go. This takes a bit of time. Yeah, oh dear. Yeah. I'll go get some yeah. tea. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But like, yeah, yeah. it's it's a really important. But thing. It's, it's the whole thing, adoption, usability. You know, it's a simple thing that can be fixed to help that. Unless there's a real reason to be synchronous, always do it asynchronously. You know, yeah, so and I think the only the only time I think I've really do it if it's synchronous. If, if you want the values of the page updated based on that Im information immediately for the user, anything else doesn't, you know, shouldn't. 
Because the moment they hit refresh, it's represented anyway, because it happens literally seconds after. Um, well, that as well, like if you hit, if you're doing things with standard functionality, then it's probably synchronous is the way I try and think about it. Like if it's a standard page layout and you're pressing with the standard save button, synchronous is great because it will fire on that. And if it's, as you say, like, but if it's, if it's you're writing your own custom process, it's like, eh, yeah. does this need does to stuff in, like updates other records, sends out, yeah, coupons, whatever it is, yeah. I have another question for you, which might be another one of those, you know, healthy metaphysical questions. <laughs> Are you ready for it? Okay, so if you could go back any time at any point in time yeah and give yourself some in your salesforce career and give your uh, your your younger self some advice what would it be this is a hard one i mean you know there's there's obviously like flippant things you could say like you know i'd tell myself you know maybe maybe don't have that extra beer at that dreamforce party or you know maybe uh uh or you know if you're you just I think, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've I failed exams. I've taken the CTA board and failed that. There's a million things where you could go like, just if you read these, like my CTA review board, genuinely, if I read two things again just before I went in, I'd have probably passed it because I just went blank on like two areas. So go back to that. The, I think the real and biggest answer I would give to myself is not actually something I think I at any point I forgot, but probably just needed reiterating. And that's just to to stop and think. And it sounds like is so when uh, our CTO Neil and I used to work together many many years ago, and I did uh, some work experience under him before I went away to university, and I deleted a production database. I was I was sort of seventeen, eighteen at the time, something like that, and deleted a production database. And and I mean it was it was like do you remember hot swap drives where you could literally press a button and a drive would shoot out and you could whack another one in. Yeah, so it was all set up with that. Like it was, and it was at like a time of day when the backup had just run. So it was the safest time of day to do it. But I just got the wrong credentials in the wrong place, and just done it. And uh, like Neil was, you know, really good about it and kind of very supportive. He he made sure I felt the implication and weight of the mess I'd made. Like he he gave me a good hour or three of like just oh no, what are we gonna do? He'd already done it literally two minutes later. Like he, <laughs> Just made you sweat. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. like, you know, which sounds cruel, but like was a really good learning lesson of just stop and think. Yeah, I always, the number of time. Yeah. And I think always it is also those those moments of failure is where you really learn a whole load of stuff, more so than any other. You know, and I, it's almost, okay, it sounds bad, but, you know, I want to fail more often because you learn more about yourself and what you're doing. I, I, think, I think that most, yeah, completely agree. Like, I... Some people ask me how it is I know about X or Y or Z, and it's like because I've broken it. Yeah, like I failed multiple times at it. Yeah, I, I occasionally take my Hoover apart to to fix it and do things like that. And I've taken all sorts of odd things apart. And the first time when uh, my fiance and I moved in together, and I did that, she was like, "The hell are you doing? Like, it's it's broken. We'll go out and buy a new one." I'm like, "I can fix this. I can take it." And she, but I remember chatting to her after, and she's like, "Why? Why?" And I was like, "Because you know, I." I'm okay breaking, like, if things are, if it, I can't make it any more broke, can I? Like, you know, it's like, when I was a teenager, I had a DVD player when a DVD player was a rare and valuable item and a DVD got stuck in it. And it was one of those things like, yeah, it, it literally like a bit of a Christmas present, huge thing. And so I was like, well, I can't break it anymore because it can't play anything. So I took it apart 
and retrieved the disc and put it back together again and was like, where's this screw come from? That's a bit left over. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> What's this lasery thing? Uh, yeah. But, yeah, but you put it back to, put it back together and then you put another disc in and it works. You go, I have got away with that. And then 50, 15, 20, 30 years later, you say to your parents, yeah, do you remember like that DVD player you get? Yeah, I nearly broke it within the first three weeks. But, yeah. you know, it's that, um, again, it comes back to that curiosity, you know, yeah, wanting again, to find out, yeah. you know. And also 20-odd plus, 20, 20 to 30 years plus of, uh, of time for them to go, DVD player? I don't remember that. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's one of my seminal call, call moments that I still remember now and you have no idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah even at school I remember kind of figuring out how the photocopy kind of cards worked. So I could have yeah. my own card to make photocopies and stuff like that at school. It's, it's all of these things where you just have to like... Um, it's being curious, as, as we've said before, but being willing for, to break things and like just get there. But but I think most to go back to the, the kind of what would I say to myself would be just to stop and think because I swear ninety percent of the times that I have broken or messed something up is because I've not, especially with programming or and it's is always because I've sat there and I've been like I know what I'm doing la 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 and then you kind of go oh no I've made a mess here yeah and like it's. And I think, yeah, and it, yeah. I think I can agree with that as well, because I even remember actually a Dreamforce talk that I did all started because of this. And I remember coding up some code and then getting halfway through, I'm like, what am I doing? And it was basically declarative functionality that I was recoding. <laughs> I'm like, there's tools in the toolbox to use, you know, to do this declarative. Why on earth am I coding it? And if I just stopped and thought, and, you know, before jumping straight into code. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was one of the first people to use Heroku Connect when it came out um, and was doing a synchronization to delete some emails. Like, so we were archiving off emails and it was only when I started realizing what I, what I was doing was we were copying emails over by Heroku Connect and then we we're going to, anyone that were marked for archive, we were going to then copy down to another Postgres table and then delete them in the original ones and sync back. I, because I was under a lot of pressure and trying to get it live and doing all this, just turned it on. And I tested it and it was working fine, but I tested it with one or two records. And so, you know, record saves, process runs, record updates and process goes back. That works fine. When you're deleting sort of 20,000 records at a time, Salesforce is then trying to save and sync back at the same time. And I had 3 million emails to go through and it all worked but it just took, like, if, if I'd have just let it all synchronize and then run my job and then synchronize back, it would have taken about an hour and a half, The mo most of the time of which I'd have just been sat there waiting for it to run. And yeah, and like, but nothing would have been. And I probably could have taken a database backup as well at that point or anything like that. Because I didn't think about that and had it running, it took 12 hours. And... I was like on a client site and we did it like six o'clock in the evening. I was like, it needs to get done before the morning, before people come in. And then I was on a train back somewhere. And, you know, and so I'm sat there on the train on like a 3G connection, you know, because it was years ago, trying to sync it and check to see if it was going on. And it was all fine. Nothing broke, but I could have saved myself. Way amount of time just by, yeah, stopping. Yeah, sweat, well, save myself a load of sweat and stress if nothing <laughs> yeah. else. And that, but that's, that's it. It's just, it's just think and think. Is, <laughs> Before I do this, is there a better way? Yeah. Or is there a way that I can make this a little bit smarter and less stressful? Yeah, cool.
Well, that's fantastic. Well, yeah, great chatting with you. Um, yes. Do you have anything else to say, or can where do people find you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, I'm genuinely pretty consistent about uh, names, so it's uh, P. Batterson everywhere. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, I'll be at London's Calling in two weeks. Uh, so Cloud Galactico is a platinum sponsor there, so we're very excited. So I'll be around there. Um, I'm probably going to see you for like 30 seconds <laughs> while you're running between you're... different things, fighting yeah. fires. No, yeah. <laughs> Wait, well, whilst you I mean, I don't think you touch the floor all day. I think you're actually moving that fast that you just hover. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, um, yeah, Amazon uh, as well and places like that. Yeah. Um, Paul Batterson is a fairly unique name. So yeah, it's a bit like mine as well. Around. You can pretty much find me everywhere just on my name. But yeah. yeah, which is also a terrible thing, isn't it? Yeah, well? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you invite all kinds of other things that you really don't want people to find out about or do, in the case of my But anyway, yeah, yeah, but thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And yeah, no, it's been lovely chatting up. And I look uh, forward catching up. To, to seeing you at London's Cooling on the 10th of June. And if you do want to come along, uh, we've got seven tracks of talks, architect tracks, developer, admins, marketing tracks, general talks as well, loads of uh, different sponsors. We've got if you actually, if you're looking for a great photo for your LinkedIn profile, we've got a photographer taking photos specifically for that. Um, we've also got a tent outside with loads of relaxing stuff going on in there, as well as something happening on the Cloud Calactico stand, which I would definitely check out. It's going to be uh, quite interesting, I think, and quite fun. So yeah. Yes, looking forward to that, and uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing everyone there. And uh, I'm doing a non-techie talk this year. Oh, as well, really? so, you know. Yeah. Well, I think I think I, I don't know this for definite. You could probably tell me more than I, I know about this, but I think there's there's only me and maybe. So it used to be there was me, Pete, Chittam. I think it was Louise and Amanda that had spoken at all but one event because uh, no one's spoken at every London yeah, school. Yeah. Not even I have. And I don't know if... Well, I suppose... No, well, I mean... I've been yeah, on the front of the stage, like but yeah, I think that doesn't really count. It's like you're busy that day or something. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> but your dedication. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, I don't know, Amanda and, are Amanda and Louise speaking this year? Or do yeah, they, they are. They usually do. So yeah, they are. So I think so, yeah. Oh. So yes, yeah, so you are the most the dedicated three. speaker at London's Calling. And you can actually check out all your talks because they're all on our YouTube channel. Just search for London's Calling Salesforce.